Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Now, one of the things I was out there with my spade shovel uh, digging, I actually cut through the internet cable. And uh, we had to go without internet for about three or four days before they came and patched it. It's, it's been an adventure, yeah. So, so she's working on it. But you know, why would you go through all of that trouble to plant a garden? You want some fruit. <laughs> what do you want? Some tomatoes, peppers, those long string beans. Whatever she does, she did really well with those long string beans one year. But you want fruit. That's why you go through the effort. You put, it's work. I mean, and you do it, it's not an immediate reward, is it? <laughs> you put some effort into it. But uh, the purpose for a garden is for fruit. And that brings me, do I have, oh, look, I'm about to go my first point, and Kenneth just jumps up right there in the middle. <laughs> I'm just picking on you, man. It's good. Uh, this brings me to my first point. What I want to speak of today is this. Point number one, write this down. God is looking for fruit bearers. Point number one, God is looking for fruit bearers. Now, last week I uh, introduced a story, and you know it well. It's the parable of the man who planted the vineyard. He basically plants the vineyard. He builds a fence around it. He digs a, a, a wine press in the middle of it. He builds a tower, and then he leased it out to tenants who would work the field. And he went to a foreign country, the Bible says. But come harvest time, he started sending his servants to collect the fruit. So why did he do all the work? Why did he plant the vineyard? Why did he make the wine press? Why did he build the gate around, the fence around it, and build the tower? He wanted to share in the harvest. He was expecting fruit. Well, what happened, and you know the story well, he sent his servants, and some they beat, and some they killed. Finally, they sent his son, and, and uh, he sent his son and said, they'll respect my son, which they didn't. They dragged him outside of the vineyard and killed him. And so Jesus said, well, what will, what will that landowner do? He said he'll go out there and he'll make an end to those <laughs> evil people and cancel them. And then he'll give the vine, the vineyard out to people who will produce its fruit. And Jesus sums up the whole parable with this. He says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Does God expect fruit? God does expect fruit for the kingdom, which brings me to point number two. Are you ready? Point number two. God is looking for fruit bearers. You know, it's like when he went up to that fig tree. You remember the story of the fig tree? And Jesus was hungry. He was walking along the road and he sees a fig tree. And he's hungry. He goes, I'm, I'm, he sees le it's full of leaves, beautiful leaves. And he goes there to see if it had some fruit. He wanted a fig. And when he got there, there were no figs. So what does he say to the tree? May no man eat fruit for, for uh, may no man eat fruit from you again forever. I think that's King James ESV. No, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him and thought, there, there he goes again, talking to the trees. <laughs> Until they came back through and the thing was dead, right? But boy, isn't that a harsh punishment? May no man ever eat fruit from you again forever. Did Jesus expect fruit? He expected that fig tree to have fruit for him. But when Jesus told this, this parable, 
and he said, the kingdom of God is taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit, the Pharisees knew at that moment, the Bible says, they were talking about them. And right from that point on, they began to try to conspire to end Jesus, to kill him, because they knew he was talking about them. See, the Pharisees were really good at making laws and good at organizing things, but they were not good producers of fruit. They were not good farmers at all. And see, I was thinking about this. So here's Jesus telling this story, this parable about um, coming to the vineyard to find fruit. I got to thinking, well, what was that fruit that Israel failed to bear? What was that fruit that the Pharisees were not doing? And uh, it didn't take me long. You just think about it, and it's all through the Bible. I came up with three things. I'm sure there's more ways to describe it, but listen to the three I came up with. Number one, the, Israel was supposed to be the light of God to the nations. The light of God to the nations. Go with me to Isaiah 42, starting at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Do you see what God is doing here? He is taking credit for all of creation, not just Israel. He's taking ownership of the whole earth. I made the earth. I give life to the people. I give breath to the people. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. This is verse six. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. Listen, a light for the nations a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon from the prison those who sit in darkness isn't that beautiful doesn't that sound like Jesus' ministry the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach recovery of sight to the blind proclamation freedom to the captives this is what Israel was supposed to do they were supposed to be a light to the nations. And they failed to do it. And so God did it in Jesus. He looked for a man and found none. So he said, I'll do it myself. And God did what Israel was supposed to do in Jesus. Go with me to Isaiah 49, verse 6. Isaiah 49 and 6. Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations. I will make you as a light for the nations. Why? Next line. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. They were supposed to be the light of God in the earth. The nation that God has chosen to work through to rescue and to bless all the nations. What did he say when he called Abraham? All the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. That was his intention from the beginning. So how does this relate to Jesus' ministry? You know it well. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus did in himself what Israel was supposed to do. When Paul was giving defense of his ministry before King Agrippa, he said, for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. 
To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, listen to this, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. In other words, Paul is saying this was God's plan from the beginning. I'm just saying what the prophets have been saying all along. Nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and after that, by uh, being the first to raise from, rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the nations, to the Gentiles. Isn't that beautiful? And beautiful. That was the fruit Israel was supposed to bear. And the Pharisees, they were good at organizing all the rules. They had all the laws in place. They knew how far you could walk on a Sabbath day and all that, but they could not connect you to God. They could not be the light of the world. See, God's claim on Israel, God's advanced claim on Israel was, is symbolic of his claim on the whole earth. The whole earth will be recreated. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. This was his intention from the beginning. So one, they were supposed to be the light of God to the nations. Two, they were supposed to be a nation of priests. Do you remember that? Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. There he goes again. He's claiming all the earth, isn't he? All the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. He's telling Moses what to say to them. If you'll do this, you will be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. But Israel failed to do that. They didn't do that. What does a priest do? A priest represents God to the people and the people to God. Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests, that the other nations could know God through them. But they, they failed. They didn't do it. Of course, you know, we know that um, we do have a high priest, don't we? In Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4.14, Jesus, who's gone into the heaven. See, Jesus did what Israel failed to do. So they were supposed to be the light of the God to the nations. They were to be a nation of priests. And also they were the carriers of, of the revelation of God. Romans 3.2 said that uh, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, with the sayings of God, with the word of God. The Jews were entrusted of that. They were the carriers of the words, the oracles, the revelation of God on the earth. Of course, who is the ultimate expression of God? It is Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. In Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these that last days, he has spoken to us by his, by his son. It's actually what the verse says. Spirit's good too. But he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Jesus did what Israel failed to do. What Israel failed to do, Jesus did. And you know, this is still Jesus's ministry today. All of these things that Jesus did, is still his ministry at the right hand of the Father. But we're the fruit bearers. He wants to do it through us. You get that? Okay. Jesus is the light to the nations. Ephesians 5.8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Isn't that good? One time you were darkness, but now you are light. You're partaking in what Jesus 
is doing on the earth. Jesus is our high priest, but what's it say in 1 Peter 2.9? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is the same thing he was offering to Israel. And now Peter is saying it to the Christians. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that beautiful? We got work to do in him. And finally, Israel was entrusted with the words of God. Who's, who's entrusted with that now? To go into all the world, preach the gospel. Yeah, we're carriers of that. We're carriers of that. John 15, 7, Rinkim read it. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. His words. You are carriers of the words, the oracles, the sayings of God, the revelation of God. That's who you are. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. So to sum it up, God wants this light of the gospel to basically shine in all the corners of the world so that he can bring salvation to the ends of the world. Same plan, same intention. Now he's doing it through Jesus and you're in Jesus. You're the fruit bearing part of that branch. That's why we need to stay connected to him. Listen to Acts 13, 47. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. This was um, uh, Paul defending his ministry. This is when he finally said to the Jews, <laughs> you guys rejected it, we're going to the Gentiles. He said, God commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Same thing that he's saying all through the Old Testament. Here's what's wild. When I read that in the book of Acts, I really can't tell if Paul is saying, it sounds like Paul is saying, God commanded me that I'm the light to the Gentiles. Uh, or is he just quoting a verse that Jesus is the light to the Gentiles? And I, you really can't tell by the grammar. The truth of the matter is you are so connected with him. You don't, you know, when you get married, what do they say about what's the word? Don't divide what God has joined. Let no man divide basically, right? You and him are joined you don't have to let people divide you. If he's the light of the world, you're in him, you're the light of the world. If he's filled with the glory of God and you're in him and him and you, like it says in the end of John, then you carry the glory of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah, yeah. So that brings me, so, so here's the thing. Israel was supposed to be a light for the world. You're not, it didn't say they are a light unto themselves. They didn't say they were a light unto my feet. You know, that's a verse that thy word is a light unto my feet, right? A, a, a light into my path. Um, but they were actually supposed to be a light for something specific, for the nations, all right? A high priest or a priest is not a priest for yourself. If you have a relationship with God directly as a priest, you don't really need another priest. But they were supposed to be a nation of priests. Why? For the nations. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, it's something that the fruit of that was to bring salvation to the ends of the earth and bring people into God. That was their vocation, and that's what they failed to do. And that's what God is doing through Jesus. And God is looking for people who are fruit bearers. That brings me to my third point, point number three. God is looking for fruit bearers. Write that down. God is looking for fruit bearers. So my question was this, and this is where, you know, this is not something to be... Um, I'm not saying this to be, uh, what's the word? I don't want to be hard on us, but we do need to evaluate these things. 
The question is this. If Israel was not bearing the fruit and they received such a severe punishment, like the fig tree, <laughs> are we bearing the fruit? Are we bearing the fruit of the kingdom? Are we doing what God wants? Are we taking our place as that fruit-bearing part of the vine and doing what God would have us to do? I think about it, you know, um, are we uh, being light to the nations? Are people looking at how we live as a church, you know? I think so in many ways. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be critical. I really believe so, but I also believe we're involved in many activities that probably we would say, are not bearing so much fruit that if we would cut out, we could be really, really good at bearing fruit, you know? Are we um, bringing people into the kingdom? Are we bringing the kingdom to earth, you know? Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Are we representing him? You know, we have a, you know, when I grew up, America was, you know, what you could have called a Christianized culture, you know? But we're far from that now in just a few years. And I mean, and I'm, I'm not picking on conservative Christian culture. I love it. I mean, see who's in here. I mean, I hate the idea to think that I'm going to have to explain, you know, gender and stuff like that to my kids. You know, what a messed up, stupid world. It's, 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 it's retarded. It's brain dead. It's crazy. But, you know, we still have a Christianized subculture in the church, you know, and and. Uh, and, and it's good. I like that. I mean, I, I, it's a good place to live and grow up. But, you know, are all the activities we're doing really producing fruit? Or are we just making rules? Because if we just make rules but don't connect people to God, the rules will just, they'll be gone the next generation. Do you see what I'm saying? But if you're connected to God, if I, I don't need to connect my kids at their age to a Christianized culture, subculture, as much as they need connected to God then they will remain planted in any culture. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, I think we should fight for our culture. I do. We need to, you know, all the stuff that, you know, we, we support, you know, people. And I don't want to really go there, but, you know, how you vote and how you support, how people fight for conservative ideas. And I'm grateful for people who are standing up for our right to speak freely and worship freely because it's being encroached on right now. It is. But really, my goal for my family is to connect you to God first to God. That's what we need. We need to be connected to God. So as, um, as a church, you know, I think, I mean, I'm excited about what's going on here. On our Wednesday night services, I mean, we, we're getting longer and longer list of answered prayers. You know, I love it. I love the presence of God in our meetings. I see fruit and it excites me. It really, really does. I love it. I love it. But you know, at the same time, I, I, we don't want to get involved in busyness either because we only have, we only have so many meetings. We only have so much time. You guys, life keeps you busy. You guys have jobs, you're busy, you have families. We need to do things that are producing fruit for the kingdom. Amen. I, I heard a, a man who was just kind of giving advice to pastors. Um, and he said, you know, when you go out and you try something with your church, go try it, you know, and, but then evaluate it and say, was there fruit from it? And if there was fruit from it, yeah, do it again. If there was no fruit, try something else, you know? He just gave an example. He said, you know, suppose you go out to the park and you give away 100 hot dogs and talk to people. That's great. Go do that. Um, then evaluate. Was there fruit? Were people healed? Were people saved? Did people come to your church from it? No? Well, then do something else. Go to a different park or try a different strategy. We don't want to get caught up doing things just for the sake of being busy. We want everything we do to count and um, I was talking to Rin Kim about it. Um, 
uh, I'm just remembering what we were talking about. And she's saying, you know, one of the things that we can do as a church is to so organize ourselves in the right way that we can all be very fruitful and productive so that when we come together and we work, you know, sometimes you want to do something for the kingdom. Uh, you want to do something for God. You have this much time. Well, as part of a church, we should have that so arranged that you have this much time, it goes through an amplifier. <laughs> it makes a big difference around the world because when we all play our part, you know, so you pray about that, you know, as uh, we come up with ideas and different things that we'll do as a church together, we want to be effective and we want to be fruitful. And uh, I'm excited. I really am. But at the same time, it's a warning, you know, don't just be busy. Don't just have rules to keep. Be fruitful. And of course, that goes the same with our families, you know, as individuals. We were talking about David Wilkerson this morning. Uh, David Wilkerson uh, decided he quit watching TV and pray. And it changed his life. Teen Challenge and all that ministry in New York was birthed out of that one decision. TV, watching TV wasn't producing fruit. And in rural Pennsylvania back then, I'm sure he only had two or three channels. And he had to adjust the rabbit ears to get it. We have a lot more temptation. We have a lot more to say no to because you know what? I've lived without a TV for years. I finally got one and I never hooked it up. But you know, my screens follow me around. YouTube follows me everywhere I go now. You got to say no to some things because they're not fruitful. We want to produce fruit. And so I came up with uh, three things um, that are scriptural. Isn't that good to know that I'm saying things that are scriptural? <laughs> three things to get to bear fruit. Three things that will keep us from being unfruitful. The number one is get connected, right? Jesus says, abide in me and my words abide in you, right? We'll look at that in a minute. The second one is guard your garden or guard your heart because that's where your life comes from. Your fruit comes from your heart. And the third one is to develop Christian character. You know, any seed can fall on the ground and grow up wild, but it's the ones that are cultivated and worked that produce a harvest to harvest proportions, right? So these three things I want to speak, speak about, but today I just want to deal with the first one, get connected. And so if you'll go back with me to John 15, I'm going to read 15 verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So this is what Jesus came to accomplish. He came to connect you to God in a real, living, tangible way. Abide in me and my words in you. Like I said, this is an invitation to actually partake of his life. This is an invitation, abide in me. <laughs> you are lost in him. My words abide in you. What does he say about his words? My words are spirit and they are life. My words are spirit and they are life. So let my life and my spirit and my word abide in you and you abide in me. And if you do that, you will bear much fruit. So number one, get connected, stay connection, protect the connection, right? And see, this is not something that's difficult for you to do. It's not, it's really not. It's not like you're trying to teach a pig how to whistle or something like that. It's natural. You are made to be in him. It's more like teaching an eagle how to fly. 
Eagle is made to fly. When the eagle finally jumps off and learns how to fly, it finds itself where it belongs in its natural element. It wasn't made to walk along the ground. Its feet aren't good for walking. It's made to soar. You know, on the other hand, the pig, it's not made to whistle. <laughs> it's good at snorting. It's not made to whistle. You are made to be connected to him. You are made to abide in, abide in him. You're made to be in the branch. You're made to be that fruit bearing part of the vine. Isn't that cool? I mean, he's the vine, you're the branches. Where does the fruit appear? You ever see an apple tree growing off the, the trunk of the apple tree? No, the apples are out on the branches. We get to do all the fruit bearing. He supports us, he's connected. We just stay connected and we get to bear fruit. So number one is protect that connection. That brings me to point number four. God is looking for fruit bearers. Write that down. God is looking for somebody connected to him just enough to pray a prayer, just virtuous enough that he can answer and bring his influence into the earth. If we don't pray and we don't ask and we don't bear that fruit, how will he bring his wise order, his tender mercies, his loving kindness, his glory? How will he bring that into the earth if we don't take our part and be the willing to be connected and bear that fruit? You know, Second Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. Why are they running to and fro throughout the earth? They're looking for somebody. He's looking for somebody whose heart is blameless toward him, somebody that he can be strong for on their behalf. He's looking for you. He's looking for us to bear fruit. It's what he wants. See, the Pharisees couldn't connect to God's heart. They couldn't. They were really good at keeping the rules. See, that's the Pharisaical mindset. The Pharisees say, what are the rules, right? You know, you're getting somebody saved, you're ministering to them and they don't know God. They're like, so what are the rules? They might not say it like that, but that's what, I, what do I have to do to be in your group, to fit in? What are the rules? And I, I mean, you know, a lot of churches have been very happy to answer that question. <laughs> well, here's the rules. Do this and this and this and this and this. What are the rules? That's a Pharisee mindset. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is Matthew 23, 23. You hypocrites, for you tithe the mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. You're tithing. I mean, I don't know if when they go and tithe their mint. I mean, we used to grow mint in Nebraska, you know, and, and uh, you'd go out and pick a few leaves and put it in your tea. I don't know what kind of harvest of mint, if they brought their tithe of their mint in a big sack or if they just, when they pulled it for their tea, they separated it and, and gave it. To, I don't know what that looked like. But the thing is, Jesus is saying, you guys are so legalistic. You've got this all figured out to the letter, but you're missing what the law was about, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
And even though you're keeping all the rules that you've made for yourself, you're missing my heart. You're not connected to me and you're not connecting people to me. You're traveling the world to win a convert. And when you win him, you're making him twice the son of hell as you are. You're just giving him rules and regulations. It's not about that. It's about life. See, Pharisees were a Christmas tree. You know what a Christmas tree is, don't you? It's pretty, but it's dead. It's disconnected from its life. If you want a Christmas tree to look good, you have to hang stuff on it and decorate it, make it look good. Pharisees were a Christmas tree. Second Corinthians 3.6 says this, Who has made us sufficient... To be, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. You're not a minister of the letter. You're not the minister of do's and don'ts. You're the minister of the spirit. You have life. You have the life of God. See, if you don't have the life of God, then what you have to do is try to make rules and try to win people, persuade them over to your way of thinking and and then try to create some cultural momentum or whatever. That's what, you, that's what you're limited to. And you got to fight it in the courts or you got to do that. Whatever, you know, that's what you do when you don't have life. But when you have life, you are a minister of the life of God. You are a minister of the spirit of God. You carry that with you wherever you go. That was the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. They couldn't produce fruit with their legalism and their law keeping. But Jesus could connect you to the Father. He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Why? The letter kills. The Spirit gives life. So don't be a Christmas tree. Be connected to God. Amen? Remember the parable of the sower? The parable of the sower is in all three synoptic gospels. Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. But you remember the hardened heart? The hardened heart, the word couldn't even penetrate the hardened heart. It would just sit there on the surface and then a bird would come and eat it. It would sit there and the devil would come and steal that which was sown. After Jesus told that parable, the disciples asked them why he spoke in parables to the people. And he said, this is why, Matthew 13, 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand in their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. He goes on a couple of verses later, verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, because their hearts are hard, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. But I want to submit to you today that the Pharisees are not the only people whose hearts have become hardened. I know people whose hearts are hardened toward the gospel. 
When you say it, they don't understand it. Their worldview keeps them out. They've adopted a worldview because they want to defend their lifestyle. And they refuse to see it. And their hearts are hard. And it doesn't penetrate. That's why the Bible gives us a warning in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Wait, who's he talking to, brothers? Is he talking to the church here? Oh, take care, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I mean, they were connected to God at one point, and the hardness of heart can cause a person to fall away from that. That's not my favorite verse. <laughs> but exhort one another every day. This is why we meet together. This is why we like to have our midweek service. This is why we stay in touch with texts and stuff. Why? We're exhorting one another. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Do not harden your hearts. And you know what? Whatever that takes to not have a hard heart, to respond to that word, to be willing to say, I might be wrong in my view. Because what happens is we, uh, we, we make it a certain way in our mind. The word hits it. We dismiss it because it doesn't line up with our view. I've done that a lot. And I've realized, you know what? It's okay. Be willing to be challenged because the truth will remain. The truth will stand. If we're seeking the truth, it will stand. Which brings me to my fifth point. God is looking for fruit bearers. Write that down. God is looking for fruit bearers. Do you remember Philippians 4.13? Come on, you know it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, that's a great verse. I love that verse. Um, I actually uh, used to see that on t-shirts a lot when I would run because I would run in, you know, the little 5K runs and the 10K runs and half marathons and you'd see some Christian team and they'd all have that on their shirt. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, you know, I mean, that's fine. I'm sure Christ will help you run a race, but I don't think that's really what he's talking about there. Um, all the things that you have to do in life, you need to do them through Christ. You get what I'm saying? So, you know, you've got a job and it's difficult. Learn how to pull that job into Christ and do it from that which Christ provides. And you'll find that things go a lot better for you. If you're raising kids or something and you have to spend time with your kids, don't just tell them what to do. Do it in the love and power and the spirit of Christ. Do all the things that you do through Christ. Isn't that good? Bring it in. If you're a teacher, don't just teach facts. Minister by the Spirit and teach the facts. Do it all in Christ, connected to the vine. Let him be the source of your life. I can do all things through Christ. Right? See, we say, I could do all things. I can do anything. I can climb a mountain. I can run a race. I can do all things. Well, I'm sure he'll help you. If he's called you to do it, he'll definitely help you to do it. No question. Not, not, don't have a problem with that at all. But what I think he's saying here is I can do all things, all things that I'm doing, all things I have to do, all things I can do them in such a way that I'm doing them through Christ. 
in such a way that they are bearing fruit. And if it's something that I can't bring into Christ, then it's probably something I shouldn't be doing anyway. <laughs> right? Doesn't it say somewhere, everything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin? So if you can't do it in faith, you can't do it in Christ, then maybe that's the thing that we need to cut off. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want to leave you with this in closing. I want to look at the, um, this unique church in Ephesus, the church of Ephesians. I, 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 when you read the book of Acts, it seems like the church of Ephesians kind of gets off to a little bit slow of a start. Paul first came to Ephesus from Corinth on his second missionary journey. And if you remember, he came across and he left um, uh, Priscilla and Aquila there, right? Well, it was uh, several years later on his third missionary journey when he comes back through and he finds those 12 men and he said they were, they were believers, but he says, have you, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they were like, when you believed? And they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So, you know, to me, Ephesus is kind of off to a slow start here. Um, so he prays for them, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then things take off. Paul spent, you know, probably two and a half years or so there in Ephesus. And that's where it says um, God was the, doing the extraordinary miracles through Paul. Acts 19, verse 11, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Isn't that cool? Now, how did that apron know if it was a sickness or an evil spirit? <laughs> it didn't matter. It was the life of God in operation. All of it has to go. The sickness goes. The evil spirits go. Right? We're, that's good. That's the answer to what we were talking about. Let it go. Let that life flow. It drives back the force of death and darkness. It's just what it, it's, it's nature too. Right? It doesn't matter how dark it is. You know, you come here in the middle of the night, we can cover all the windows, turn all the lights off, and it can be pitch dark, but you turn on one little light on your cell phone and you'll light up the whole room because light always overcomes darkness. The power of God will always overcome the work of Satan. And you are connected to that life and you are supposed to be the one who brings that life in the form of fruit, kingdom fruit, into the world. That's just an awesome job. I mean, if you had to write a job description of all the different things God's got going on, you know, angels and... And, uh, you know, Jesus there and then all these different, but then humans get to be, you know, the bearers of the fruit connected to God. Yeah, I don't have to be the root. I don't have to hold everything up. I don't have that responsibility. That's Jesus. He's the foundation, right? I don't have to be the architect and planner. That's God. He, well, they, all, they all worked all that up. I just get to be the fruit bearer. What a great job. I love my job. It's a great job. So um, sometime later then, oh, and, and so all these extraordinary miracles going on there in, in, in um, Ephesus. And that was the time when all the people brought their occultic books out and they burnt them. You know, you know, that was a move of God. That was a move of God. And so sometime later on his journey to Jerusalem, he's traveling through, but Paul doesn't want to go to Ephesus. So he calls the elders to come and meet him. And um, what he says to them was this. There's a long conversation, but I want to pick this one part out. It's Acts 20, 29 through 30, where you'll find it. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. He said, I'm giving you a warning. People are going to come in. 
They're going to try to draw men after themselves instead of after God. And they're going to try to divide you and they're going to try to take the flock. Did they heed the warning? Well, it was probably about five years later when Paul was in prison, he writes the letter to the Ephesians. And, you know, that's one of the most glorious letters there in the Bible. You know, the, the, the church in Ephesus. You know, some people say we need to get back to that primitive church in the book of Acts, you know, the, at the Jerusalem church. You know, and other people say, well, the, the church of Ephesus is matured, you know. Truth is, we can learn from all of the churches in the book of Acts. But there was a maturing. The early church didn't even know that Gentiles could be saved, you know. So it wasn't perfect. It wasn't complete. But if there was a church in the book of Acts that seemed to express a fullness, a maturity, it had to be this church in Ephesus. So they were doing good. They were doing a good thing. But about 30 years later, somebody else writes a letter to the book, to the church in Ephesus. And it's Jesus himself. You'll find that in the book of Revelation. Do you remember when he dictated the seven letters to the seven churches? He says to the book, to the, to the book, to the church in Ephesus, I know your works and your toil. This is Revelation 2, starting at verse 2. I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear those who are evil. But listen, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. They took his advice. They tested those. They did not let false leaders come into the church and divide the flock. Good job, Ephesians, I'm telling you. Awesome. But then he goes on. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. They did good at keeping the wolves away. They did good at challenging those and keeping false teaching out of the church. But they lost their first love. They lost their connection to God by the Spirit. And he says, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. Even though you're doing all this other stuff right and you're enduring, but you're, you've lost this loving, vital connection with me. And I'm going to remove your lampstand if you don't repent. Get connected. If you want to bear fruit for God, get connected. Which brings me to my final point. God is looking for fruit bearers. And you are his fruit bearers. You're his branches. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't think that's awesome, you know, you're all he's got. So. <laughs> no, he, you are his, his uh, fruit bearers. You're the one who gets to do this job and bring his life into the earth. The kingdom is manifest among us, within us. Do you see how connected the kingdom is to you? Isn't that awesome? So let's go and be fruit bearers. What do you say? Amen. Maintain that connection. Maintain that connection. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. This invitation to partake in what you are doing on the earth, to be your fruit bearers. Father, let this word dwell in us richly. Bring it to our remembrance. Let it challenge us. Let it change us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.